0: Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, one who is, and the one who is to come. And we declare that today, that you are God and there is no other. There is none like you. There is none like you. And I pray right now, that as your church, we would humble ourselves under that truth. That you are God and we are not. And we would humble ourselves under your authority right now. Position us to receive, Father. As we cast our anxiety, whatever, whatever's gone on this week, Lord, we just take a moment right now. I pray for a spirit of release over this place we would just be releasing our pain our anxiety our burden our distraction we just leave that loved ones just leave that at the foot of the cross right now and say Jesus I choose to humble myself under you you are sovereign you are great you promised me peace in exchange for my anxiety you promised me hope in replacing my discouragement and I choose to take you at your word right We choose to take you at your word. Speak to us. Speak to us that we would know and declare that God has been among us here today. Do a saving and sanctifying work, Father. Be with my mouth, Holy Spirit. Say what you want to say. Guard it from error and have your way. And may this time, right now, be a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. As Christ is proclaimed. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated, loved ones. Well, good morning, Hope Ottawa. Let's open up our Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 to 10 this week. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, just put up your hand. Our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, then please keep that as a free gift. So as a way of us encouraging you to continue to study God's Word and abide with Him on your own time as well. And in those Bibles that they're being handed out, it's on page 579, Titus chapter two, verses nine to 10. Little recap here. We're in a series right now. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Titus, going verse by verse through the book of Titus. And the title of the series is God's Heart for the Church. And the whole series is pointed on answering the question of what is the blueprint that God has given For what a healthy church and what healthy believers are to look like. Remember, healthy believers mean healthy churches. Healthy churches mean healthy believers. And so let's do a little recap see how we got up to this place. Recapping chapters 1 and 2, we looked at in verses 1 to 3 how we are called to live on mission. As believers, we're called to live on mission. A healthy church is a missional church. And then we looked at godly leadership in verses 5 to 9. And how leaders are called to model the standard, which we are all called to. But leaders are called to model that standard in a fear of the Lord. And then we looked at the foundation for all of this. The driving force of all of this, which is doctrinal purity. Doctrinal purity. Now, that word doctrine can conjure up a lot of thoughts in people's minds. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Here's definition of doctrine from systematic theologian uh, Wayne Grudem. And he says, doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches about a particular topic. This is why doctrine is so important, loved ones. Doctrine protects the church from taking one verse in Scripture and then bending it and twisting it to whatever we want it to mean for ourselves and therefore distorting the very truth that God has given us to lead us to Him. It protects the church, the teachings of God that He's given us in the Bible that are the path to God. We can't truly love a God we don't truly know. We can't truly worship a God we don't truly know. And so we don't get to pick and choose what parts of God's word we want to believe and what we don't. Doctrine ensures a protection against that. But doctrine also equips the saints for the work of the ministry. It equips the church to fulfill their purpose given to them by God to see his glory established in the church. How does doctrine do this? Well, here's what it does. You'll see it on the screen. A little recap from last week. Doctrine leads to a greater knowledge of God, but it doesn't stay there, right? It doesn't stay there. Doctor, let's see who's been paying attention the last two weeks, okay? Here we go. A little test on the spot. Doctrine does not lead us just to information, but to. Yes. Go Lord, go Lord, all right? It doesn't lead us, it doesn't stay there. We don't just become thick headed on knowledge of the Bible. That's not what true doctrine does. True doctrine always leads us past information to transformation. And so, therefore, that greater knowledge of God leads to a greater love for God that leads to a faithful life rooted and lived out in God. That's beautiful the beautiful truth of sound doctrine. And so last week, we looked at what a life, what does, we looked at the question, what does a life rooted in sound doctrine look like practically? It's one thing to say, okay, so we need sound doctrine. That's great. But how do we know if we're growing in that? What does a, life that, a lifestyle of sound doctrine, life founded on the true gospel that is rooted in it, look like practically? And so last week, we started a two-part mini-series on this subject, and we looked at lifestyles that Christian men and women across ages were to have in the home, in their day-to-day lives, whether you're married, whether you're single, in the church, and today the focus now shifts. The focus specifically shifts to how we are to live out the true gospel under the authorities that God has put over us. Our leaders, our bosses, our supervisors. A lot of students in this room love our students. The authorities of your teachers. What does a life rooted on sound doctrine look like? as it is being lived out under authority. What does a life of sound doctrine look like in the workplace? This is, I could sum that up and say, we're about to dive into what God's plan for a workplace witness is to be. A workplace witness, and you can extend this you can extend this into agencies you volunteer with, maybe even volunteer in the church here. How are we called to live out a life of sound doctrine and submitting to the authorities God has put over us? And you say, well, why is this so important that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul would focus a whole section of his book on this? Because there's a major problem today, loved ones. Look around us. And it is increasingly difficult To live out our faith in the workplace as our culture increasingly marginalizes and tries to eliminate Jesus Christ. Would you agree? It's not getting any easier, right? If it's getting easier for you, tell me where you work and we'll make sure we mobilize a lot of people to get there. But here's the reality. It's not getting any easier to live out our faith in the workplace. And the result is, there's an increasing number of Christians that are more fearful and not faithful in being effective gospel witnesses in the workplace. We come and we can start to, this, this leads to a segment mentality where we say, well, it's easy to live out my faith on a Sunday, so I'll be a Sunday Christian, and maybe when I go home it's a little bit easier there, but what about Monday to Saturday? What does God promise to bless there? There. What what does he promise to bless? What's the blueprint he's given for what a healthy believer is to work like and live like, founded on sound doctrine, that God ultimately promises to draw people to himself through? What does that look like? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here in our text, we see God answers that question. And he shows us the posture that we must embrace when under authority. And he shows us his power that he will display and promises to draw people to himself through to see his kingdom advanced in the workplace, no matter what comes against us. And now, be be encouraged. Be encouraged, loved ones. This is is a fail-proof plan that our God has given us. No more fearfulness, fearlessness. Wouldn't that be amazing to walk into your workplace tomorrow? Be like, I don't have to be afraid. God's given the blueprint. He's told me how to live on sound doctrine in his power. Hey, get ready. I love this. Here we go. Here we go. Verses 9 to 10. Titus 2, 9 to 10. Let's honor the authority of God's word and stand as we read this together. Here we go. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, when under authority, a life rooted in sound doctrine, first we see here is this, it embraces the posture of the truth, submission. When under authority, a life rooted in sound doctrine embraces the posture of the truth, submission, submission. And in these first couple verses, we see here the question that we're confronted with. And it is this. I am called to honor authority. Am I walking in true submission? Am I walking in true submission? I'm called to honor authority. Am I walking in true submission? Let's look at verses 9 and a bit at 10 again. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. All right, let's remember, we got to interpret Scripture. If we're going to get sound doctrine, we got to interpret Scripture in context. Amen? Amen? 62 to 64 AD, first century right now, Paul's writing this letter. And the Apostle Paul, remember, he had planted churches on the island of Crete in southern Greece with his son in the faith, Titus. And recall, loved ones, from the last few weeks, these churches are approximately two to three years old. Same age as us right now. Two to three years old, and they're filled with new believers that are not grounded in sound doctrine. And so what's happening here is there's a real problem in the church. The church is at risk of being divided and destroyed through the false teaching that was gaining traction in it, and the false teachers promoting an immoral lifestyle that, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says the lifestyles of these false teachers were just emulating the immoral culture that was around them. It says they were lazy, gluttonous, evil beasts. And this is what they're saying a Christ follower is to live like. This is, this is dividing the church, entire households being overthrown. And so the result is the believers are being Deceived. They're being deceived on what living out the true gospel under authority was to look like. And here's the result. They were damaging the Christian witness they were called to uphold. And that God promised to bless and draw people to himself through. So look at what Paul says first. He says, bondservants. The Greek word there for bondservant means uh, slaves. It's the same word as Paul used in chapter 1, verse 1. Where he says, Paul, a servant of God. The Greek word is doulos means I'm a bond servant. It's one who belongs to another. One who is called to submit under the authority of another. The term applies now to all employees that we have. Anyone that's under authority. This term now applies. But contextually here, Paul is writing specifically in regards to the men, women, and children who in the Roman Empire were owned by their masters. They were literally owned by their masters, and they worked for them under their authority to earn a living in their homes and in their businesses. And you say, "Well wait, why is it so important that Paul kind of takes a time out here from like, men and women that he's just been unpacking and leaders? Why does he take a time out and all of a sudden go to bond servants? Because we have to understand this statistic. One out of every three people in the first century. This is One out of every three people in the first century Rome were slaves. And one out of every five people outside of Rome were slaves. So what we're talking about here is not a small percentage of the church. There's a huge percentage of the church that is at risk right now. And the witness is at risk of being compromised And isn't that just like the same today? Huge percentage of the church at risk of being compromised because of fear or being led astray, not rooted in sound doctrine. And so it says here, bond servants are to be submissive to their masters. The Greek word for submission. Now, some of us, maybe when we hear that word submission, it kind of feels like, kind of tastes as good as vinegar in our mouths. Submission, <laughs> No, thanks. Mm. Listen, submissive to masters means this, to submit or place oneself under one's leadership or authority. You're placing oneself under their authority or leadership. In, now notice that key word there. I love, there's no loophole here. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in, what's that, what's that word? In, in, come on church, in, everything, thank you, in everything, not like I get to pick and choose when I want to be submissive, why I want to be submissive, in everything. It's not based on, notice what Paul's exhortation is here, it's not based on submitting to your authority, to your master, when you feel like it. Well, I feel like submitting today, so I'm gonna do that. Mm -mm. It's not based on submitting to your authorities when it's easy, Well, it's easy to submit to that person, so then I'm going to do it. It's not based on submitting to them only when you think that authority deserves you to be submitted to them. It's not based on, well, I'll submit when it's comfortable. No. It's not based on submitting when you think it's fair, when they're treating you fairly or not. No. It's not based on when you agree with them in what they ask you to do and how they ask you to do it. No. Now, does this mean you can never have an opinion? No. We can speak the truth in love, but our submission to the authorities God's put over us is not based on how they receive our opinion. The only exception to this is this. And we see this, again, all throughout Scripture. The only exception is when our authorities ask us to do something that would sin against the Lord by commanding us to do something that would cause us to disobey God's word. Full stop. Look around us in our culture right now. Just look around. Um, Is this what we see promoted in the workplace? Is this what we see promoted in the culture, this, this attitude, this lifestyle of submissive to our authorities in everything? Is this where it's going? Just look around, loved ones. No, 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 no. There's an increasing rebellion and even a promotion of rebellion against authority, not submission to it, both by non-Christians and those claiming to be Christians. And I use claiming there very intentionally. In, a, in the classroom. We see this against our government. We see this in the workplace. And this filters it. This isn't segmented, loved ones. What, one area that has a part of your heart is going to impact every other area that has a part of your heart. It's the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23 says. And so it's not like you're going to be able to, well, I won't submit to the authorities in the workplace, but I will in the home, or I will It just, it filters into every area. Because the truth is this, when we look around our society, you see it so clearly. Maybe if you look at your past week, definitely if I look at my past week, here's the reality. We don't like to be under authority. We don't like to be under authority. We want to be the authority. We want to be God. Welcome to Genesis chapter 3. We want to be God. We want to be the authority. And increasingly, you look around this world today, without a lifestyle of sound doctrine, this is the best we can expect. We're only willing to submit to authority when it does what we think it should do. We're only willing increasingly to submit to authority when that authority does how we want something done. In our time and in our way, what will benefit us the most We only increasingly want to submit to authority when when we want it done and why we want it done. See, this world does not promote a submission to authority. It promotes, promotes subverting authority, not submission. Our own hearts promote subverting authority. So why would we expect anything different if we're not living a lifestyle on sound doctrine? That's the best we can expect, and we see the results of that all over this world. The home is crumbling. The church is being divided. Nations are being divided. There's nothing new under the sun. See, it promotes subverting authority as long as the authority isn't you. This is why living lives rooted in the true gospel is so important, loved ones. It makes us, here's a great word to write down, it makes us distinct. It makes us distinct from the culture around us because we are firmly rooted in the truth and know that as we genuinely submit in our hearts and in our actions that overflow from that, when we genuinely submit to the authorities God has placed over us, we are ultimately submitting to Him. We are ultimately submitting to Him, and it's no longer about what we can get, it's all about what we can give because Jesus Christ gave it all for us. That's radical. That is radical. That's why Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this. You'll see it on the screen. It says, whatever you do, that means in everything, whatever you do, work heartily with all of your might With your best efforts, as for the Lord, see that? We're ultimately submitting to the Lord. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing. Here's why. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. When we submit to the authorities over us, we're ultimately submitting to God, and our main focus is not to please man, but it is to please God. That's the game changer. That's the fulcrum that everything turns on right there. So you might ask, well, what does a posture of submission look like that's rooted in the gospel? How do I know? Like, what does this even look like practically? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He gives it to us clearly right here. Sound doctrine. Ready? Gospel submission. Two things we see here. Number one, characteristics of gospel submission. Well-pleasing, not argumentative. Well-pleasing, not argumentative. Let's draw it out of the text right here. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything... Here it is. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. The Greek there for well-pleasing means this. Doing what is fully acceptable in both attitude, that is the heart, and action. So not just doing an external work, but being genuinely submitted to the Lord in the heart. In the heart. It is seeking the good of others and honoring one's authority as is acceptable to God, working with excellence to be productive for one's master, not grudgingly, but gladly. Let me ask you a question. How rare is that today? How rare? You know, when I was thinking through and praying through this text, one picture that came to mind was, you know, I used to be a a teacher, elementary and high school teacher, and so we'd be in the classroom and, it's that picture of that student that's like standing in the class and the teacher's like, hey, you need to sit down. And they're like, no, you need to sit down. No, you're gonna to go to principal office. Fine, I'm gonna sit down, but I'm still standing on the inside. Right, right? That's the mentality. But whether we like it or not, that reflects us to a T most of the time. God, sure, I'll obey, but I'm still rebelling in my heart. I'm not genuinely submitted to you. Sure, I'll do the task, but I'm not gonna honor the authority that you put over me. No, no, no. But I'll get the task done. Really? How rare is that when you say, talk about work, well, I have to go to work today. I just have to. No, 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 no. When you know you're serving the Lord Christ, you're like, I get to go to work. no, I have to serve in kids today. No, no, you don't, loved one. You get to. You're serving the Lord Christ. And it's by his mercy he's given you the opportunity because you and I don't deserve it. That just turns it on its head. And so look what he says. He says we are to be well-pleasing, back to the text, not argumentative. Not argumentative, what does that mean? The Greek word for not argumentative means this, resisting, voicing opposition, refusing to do what you're told. It means you're, here's what it means, not argumentative. You're not backtalking. You're not disrespectful in your backtalking. You're not griping. You're not speaking against or complaining, gossiping about your boss or your leader Behind their back to others. How common is that today? I told you I used to be a teacher. There's reasons we avoided the staff room from time to time. Or the coffee room. How common is this discussion going on? It just moves towards argumentative spirits, gossip, slander, back talk. And as Christians, we're not just called to not be argumentative and speak that. We're actually called to not listen to that. Because of the lifestyle of sound doctrine that we hold to. See, because here's what we have to realize. Here's why Paul exhorts them in this. We have to realize this, love. This is a wake-up call for us. In just a few seconds, you know, there's this old adage that says, well, I'll take it back, what I said. I'll just take it back. I just don't see it in here. And it's not true. As much as we like to say, well, I take it back, you can't take your words back. And we have to realize that in just a few sentences, in just a few seconds, that witness that you are called to have that I'm called to have, that witness that you've been trying to build up to your neighbors for years, your coworkers, can be discredited like that. Because the moment people know you're a Christian, guess what they do? What's different? Good word. (laughs) Good word, Caleb. But when people know you're a Christian, they watch. Is that power that they're claiming really real? Does it really make a difference? It can be discredited like that. How do we know? Why is it so important we guard our tongues, loved ones? And we ask, and the lifestyle of sound doctrine calls us to this. Look at James 3. You'll see it on the screen. I was so sobered by this this week. It says, how great a forest. Look at the illustration here. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. One little spark, bang, wildfire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. How great a blaze is set a spark by just a few words. Look at this. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. We say, I'm a Christian and I do that. Oh, wait. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. That's a sobering word about our tongue, eh? James goes on to say the tongue is a rudder. It steers us where we, it's the the rudder that steers where we go. The relationships we have. Whether people trust us or not. Or see legitimacy to our claim of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. What's coming out of your mouth? Just think, if you're in Jesus Christ here, listen, there's no... Condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But ask yourself the question, what's coming out of my mouth this past week? How did I talk about my authorities? How did I talk about them in the workplace? What would others say that I'm talking like what's coming out of my mouth? See, here's why this is so important. Luke 6.45 tells us this, just shines a light right on our heart in this. says, from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So that's a picture of what's going on in here. And that heart is one in need of redemption by the Savior. What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of mine? Argumentativeness? Or are we well-pleasing to our authority? Where do we need to repent and ask the Lord for a well-pleasing, not argumentative spirit, because there's only one that He will bless. Next, gospel submission displays not only well-pleasing and non-argumentative spirit; it displays loyalty and not stealing. Loyalty and not stealing. Look at, keep reading. Let's go to verse nine again. We'll read the whole thing. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. The word pilfering there means this, to rob, embezzle, or steal. You're not to be stealing from the authority that is over you, from your employer or other authorities you serve under. Now you have to remember the context. Slaves, if you're in a home surrounded by a wealthy master, you're going to be tempted with this. And if you think that it's okay to live like the rest of the culture is living, what do you think you're going to do in that house? You're going to take what you think is an advantage for you. Because that's what's being promoted to do. If it feels good, do it. If you need it, do it. Don't worry about if it's not yours. Don't worry about if you're not supposed to take it. It's better for you to do that, is it? Is it? In whose eyes? In whose eyes, loved ones? But we are not called to be pilfering. We are called to be showing good faith in everything. Good faith means this, utter loyalty. Utter loyalty. Would your employer... Would the leaders that are over you say, "That is a man, that is a woman of utter loyalty that I know I can trust in all things, when my eyes' watching them, and especially when it's not, that they will honor the authority and work with excellence. It means faithfulness, trustworthiness, reliability and integrity at all times, at all times. Let's drill this down and get it a little more practically for us this morning. It means we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. We tell the whole truth, not part of the truth. We take responsibility instead of passing the buck and blaming someone else. We tell the truth. And our employers, our authorities over us know we're telling the truth because we've got a track record of it. We're not blaming others for our behavior. We keep our word. Our employers know, our authorities know that if this man or this woman said it was gonna get done, then unless something out of the blue happens, an emergency where they need some extra help, it's getting done. When we give our word, does it mean anything anymore? It means we're not stealing resources. Or here's another one. We're not stealing time. We're not stealing time. What does that mean? It means you come on time. Show up on time for your job. Show up on time for your service. You're not stealing time. We're setting an example. Otherwise, what is distinct from the world? That whole thing of, we'll get there when we get there. That's my cousin, or my son, Caleb's favorite line in one movie. We'll get there when we get there, Dad. Uh, we'll get there when we need to be there. So we need to leave earlier. We're not stealing time. Break time. If we have a 15-minute break, we're not on a 20-minute break. You're stealing. You come in on time, you work a full day, you clock out at the end of the day, and you hit the bed knowing that you've upheld your integrity and loyalty. Because Jesus Christ is empowering you to do so. And did that perfectly. It means um, we're not taking what doesn't belong to us, big or small things, from the smallest paper clip to the company car or credit card. If it doesn't belong to us, it's not going home with us. We're not abusing the resources that God has given us to steward. It means we speak with honor. Trustworthiness means we speak with honor about our authorities. Trustworthiness quite simply means by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we prove ourselves to be trustworthy. See, I love how one commentator put it this way. He summed this up. Working in good faith means this. Our trustworthiness, reliability, and dependability are continually on display. Not just when we feel like it, but continually. And look at this. No one needs to be looking over your shoulder. What do you have in your possession right now that if an authority was looking over your shoulder, they'd say, why do you have that? Or you look at your schedule and working the past week. Did you come in on time, loved ones? Would your authorities say that's honorable? This is what the posture of submission rooted in sound doctrine looks like. We are known for our loyalty and integrity. We act the same way when authority is watching and when it's not. This is why I love Colossians 3.22. You won't see it on the screen, but write down this reference. Bondservants, servants, same word, doulos, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, As people pleasers. That means don't just submit, quote unquote, when your boss is watching. When your leader is watching. Don't do that. But with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Because you're submitting to him. So question. This is what the life of sound doctrine looks like. This is the fruit that is produced and generated by the living and active word of God inside of us. This is what it does. This is what God's word is ultimately moving us to more. And again, it's not about perfection, loved ones, but it's about perseverance increasing more and more by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into his image. More and more. And when we blow it, we repent because we have a savior. And he says, get up take responsibility, reconcile what needs to be reconciled, watch me show my glory through that, and let's keep going. I'm not quitting on you. See, this is what the living and active word does from sound doctrine inside of us. The true word, not the twisted or distorted word. So question, are you honoring the authorities God's placed over you? By walking in submission. And there, there's what a life of submission looks like God, through the gospel. Sound doctrine. Are you honoring the authorities that God has put over you? Just be honest, loved ones. You see it right there. Be honest with yourself. Take it to the Lord. In your work, in your class, when you volunteer somewhere, are you walking in gospel submission? And you're maybe here being like this well, wait a sec, how does this apply to me? I am the authority in my workplace, I own the company. I'm the boss. Oh, okay, let me just ask you a question. Are you setting this example for those you lead? Hey, let's frame it another way. Do you want employees who don't do this? Do you want employees who steal from you? Do you want employees who are argumentative? Do you? Do you? you want employees who gossip about you? I don't know an employer alive who would want that. But here's the thing, employers, bosses, the attitude of those under you will reflect your leadership of them. Are we setting the standard for this by the power of Jesus Christ? Not perfectly, but perseveringly. See, when under authority, a life rooted in sound doctrine embraces the posture of the truth, submission. And from this, a life rooted in sound doctrine fulfills its purpose by displaying the power of the truth, adorning, adorning. Let's look at the last half of verse 10, and the question we're confronted with by our final point today is this. The purpose of my life is to adorn the gospel. Is it attractive through me? Is it attractive through me? Look at verse 10. Let's read the whole thing again. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Here's why. Here's the purpose. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine, the truth of God's word, the doctrine of God our Savior. See, Paul now sums up all of verses 1 to 10. All the verses we looked at last week and these two this week. He sums it all up by stating the purpose. This is the climax that everything has been building towards for why we are commanded to live lifestyles of sound doctrine. Here's why. Because it's the only way to truly adorn the true doctrine and gospel of our Savior. That's the climax. And I love that word adorn there. The word adorn, you'll see it on the screen. It means this, to beautify, to make very compelling and attractive. Actually, the Greek root word for adorn is cosmeo, which is the root for the word cosmetic. Therefore, every time you're putting on cosmetics, I want you to think, I'm spending all this time doing this. How am I adorning the gospel today? How am I beautifying the gospel? If I'm spending all this time on beautifying myself, am I beautifying the Savior by his power within me today? is the gospel attractive through me today increasingly? I love that. Beautiful picture. You see, We make compelling and very attractive the saving power of the gospel. Loved ones, church, this is the greatest purpose we are called to live lives rooted in the sound doctrine of God's word. Right here, to project the saving power of the gospel and make attractive the truth that God saves sinners. To make attractive the truth by his power in us increasingly that God saves sinners. This is our testimony to the unbelieving world and the very one that their own hearts are longing for that glimpse of eternity to see. And one that continually produces opportunity for the gospel. When someone is, hey, you know what? Like, I don't know how many times this happens. It's like, hey, I notice you don't gossip about stuff. Why? Well, I notice you go quiet about that. Like, what? what uh, why is that? Gospel opportunity. Hey, you know what? Everyone's cutting out like 15 minutes early. Do you want to do that? Gospel opportunity. Hey, just stay another five minutes on the break. Gospel opportunity. Inroad after inroad after inroad. Hey, the boss isn't around. Do you want to just do that? Why don't you just take this? Gospel opportunity. Because it makes you distinct. I love how. Commentator Hank Griffin, he put it this way, why this is so important. I'm going to read this slowly, let it sink in. The effect of individual Christian behavior on non-believers should not be underestimated. You say, well, what will it mean if I just don't take that five minutes? It's just five minutes. Oh, no, 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 it's God's five minutes. You watch. You watch the effect You watch. Inevitably, unbelievers judge the gospel message by the lives of those who embrace it. You can talk all you want to, you're blue in the face that you love Jesus. But if our lifestyles are not lining up with that, they're not interested in Jesus. Because they're doing fine without him. As we live and identify ourselves as Christians... We can make the gospel message attractive and credible by our godly lives and behavior as the spirit is at work. However, however, if we are perceived as unloving and hypocritical, we provide unbelievers with, oh, this is a sobering word, good reason to be skeptical about the power of the gospel Paul's exhortations, both to these Cretan groups and to Christians of every age, should alert us to the tremendous importance of being in reality what we profess in word. Are we living in reality what we profess with our mouths? Let me put it in today's terms. Loved ones, talk can be very, very cheap. Does our walk increasingly match our talk by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because we can't do this on our own. You can't just white knuckle this and say, okay, I'm gonna leave here and not be argumentative anymore. I'm not gonna gossip. That's not gonna, you're gonna fall flat on your face, loved one. That's why we gotta beg Jesus. Lord, help me to love you more. Give me your power. And for everyone who has repented of their sin and confessed Jesus Christ truly as their Lord and Savior and surrendered to him, this is what he gives us the power to do this. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So, loved ones, final question is this Is the power of the gospel attractive through you? Just think about your week. Just see, like, Lord, were you attractive in that conversation? When you're in that conversation this week, when you have that opportunity to, oh, I'll just keep this for myself, I'll just take some extra here, take some extra time. Lord, Is my motivation right now to adorn the gospel? Would you please help me to do that and change my heart? Is the power of the gospel attractive? Are the people around you and me seeing a life that is set apart increasingly for Jesus Christ? See, this is the purpose of our lives, to adorn his gospel. To increasingly declare on our lips and in our lives that we were sinners in need of a savior. And that God in his love for us, in his grace towards us, sent us one, his only son, Jesus Christ, who took on the form of a servant and submitted himself to his father's will perfectly and adorned the power is so beautiful adorned the power of god's word perfectly for 33 years and then went to the cross and died to pay the penny for our sin that we deserve that's what we deserve death in hell but yet jesus but god strong and mighty rose to save us after being buried for three days, and he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And he gave us the opportunity. Right here, right here. If you have never confessed Christ as your personal savior, hear this loved ones, hear the word of the Lord for you today. He gave us the opportunity to be made new. That guy, that woman that would give in to that temptation to argue and to be gossiping and to steal, that person's dead in Jesus Christ. You have been made new. If you have surrendered to him as Lord and savior, that temptation has no hold over you. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a servant of the living God. Who saved you from your sin and an eternity in hell by giving the promise of salvation for all who repent of their sin and surrender their lives to Him as Lord and Savior? But here's the cool thing. Here's the great thing. It comes from that. His work didn't stop at the cross. His work didn't stop at the cross. He's still at work today and He's transforming His people by His grace and power into His image from one degree of glory to the next. More like Christ today than I was. I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I was. There's more of Jesus. He is increasing. I am decreasing. He is defeating sin. Look at this testimony. You think that not gossiping is not a big deal? Look at the testimony that it leads to. Jesus Christ is defeating sin in me, He is healing brokenness. You are surrounded, loved ones. You and I are surrounded every day by people who are lost and broken and hurting and in desperate need for a savior. And you and I, if we confess Jesus Christ as our savior, have been commissioned to go after them. And no one wants them more than him. No one wants them more than him. And we have the opportunity To say, this is a savior that heals brokenness. This is a savior that overcomes addictions. This is a savior that gives hope and not despair. This is a savior that gives peace and not anxiety. This is a savior that gives joy and not discouragement. This is a savior that gives satisfaction in him even in the midst of suffering. This is a savior. This is our God. Is it worth it to you loved ones for the opportunity to declare that to those around you? Is it worth it to live lives of submission and to let go of our pride and say, God, I'm through with trying to have my way. I'm gonna do it your way. That you would draw draw people to yourself through me. And here's the best part. He promises to be with us, giving us all we need to live this way as we call on his name and he is not going to stop until his work is completed and we are with him for eternity. Amen? Amen? Take that into your workplace tomorrow. Take that. Take that faith into your workplace. You have an inheritance. I have an inheritance that cannot be shaken. Take it into your workplace. Because there's a whole generation of people surrounding us that are like, I want that inheritance, but I'm chasing it through all of this world and it's going to leave me broken. Take that. Take that into the workplace. He's not going to stop until we're with him for eternity and this hope is guaranteed for all who are truly his. This is what we are to declare on our lips and through our lives. To declare this that when you're sitting across from that coworker who's asking you, why, why are you not argumentative? Why are you not Hey, Here's where you can declare that if Jesus Christ can do this in a busted up life like mine, and one who was running from him and broken, he can do this in yours too. Wanna to meet him? This is what the world is longing to hear. It's not rocket science. Faith. And we are called to proclaim to that world that great is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your inerrant, sufficient eternal word I thank you that you have not left us on our own to try to figure out what you desire for your people, to try to figure out what lifestyles founded on the truth, the whole truth of your word look like to try to muster up enough strength to do this on our own to try to save people on our own God you do not call us to save, you call us to sow And one of the greatest instruments you've given us to do that is a holy life set apart, distinct that declares great are you, Lord. Great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. Come all you who are thirsty. You don't have to clean yourself up. Just come. The Savior's waiting. Why? Because you give life. You are love and you bring light into the darkness, and you have chosen us in your wisdom to be the instruments of your light to a dark world, to a dark workplace. And the power that is in us is always greater than any power that would try to stand before us. Oh God, fill us with faith right now. As we declare this, I pray this would not just be words on a screen, This would be the cry of our heart, the cry of our lungs, the cry of our breath, the cry of our actions. Great are you, Lord. In Jesus' name.